Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd. Coming up, how a battle over affordable and diverse housing has split one small Johnson County suburb. But first, some headlines. Jackson County is paying for a $1.5 million upgrade for a Kansas City police computer system. KCUR's Sam Zeff tells us it's the first time the county has been asked to fund such a big police project. The money will replace something called the KCPD Unified Computing System. This is what the communications unit uses to send information to laptops and police cars. Legislator Sean Smith, who sponsored the ordinance, said if the county didn't step in, there could be what he called dire consequences for officers and the public. In a letter to the legislature, Police Chief Stacy Graves said the 10-year-old system should have been replaced five years ago, and there's not enough money in KCPD's budget to do so. The money does not address KCPD's 911 system, where the average wait time is a minute 40 seconds. As temperatures reach record highs across Kansas City, more people are going to emergency rooms than in previous years. KCUR's Noah Taborda shares the latest from Jackson County Hospitals. It's common to see spikes in visits to emergency departments on days over 90 degrees. But there have been double the number of patients this summer. On the hottest days of each month, emergency room visits peaked with 11 on July 28th and 13 on August 19th. In total, there have been 147 heat-related emergency visits in Jackson County. Common complaints include headache, fever, vomiting, shortness of breath, and abdominal pain. Doctors say people feeling ill should go inside and cool off and seek immediate medical attention if symptoms persist. The Kansas City Royals released pictures and videos yesterday showing possible designs for a new baseball stadium. Greg Eklund reports for KCUR. One of the two sites is in the east end of downtown Kansas City. The other site is in north Kansas City, west of Interstates 29 and 35. Royals president of business operations, Brooks Sherman, says each site is on equal footing, but the decision will come down to an agreement between the Royals and elected leaders in Jackson and Clay County. When you think of a public-private partnership, that brings into play, as I said a little bit earlier, the the public funding to go along with the private funding um, to know that we can finance it appropriately. Royals ownership have said a bulk of the money for the stadium will come from private investors, but taxpayers will likely be asked to foot some of the bill as well. A site decision is expected by the end of September. We'll be back after this. Prairie Village is sharply divided right now as city leaders explore diverse options for housing in the suburb. A group called PV United has circulated petitions seeking to stop affordable housing and even reshape city government. Josh Merchant of nonprofit news website The Beacon has been covering the issue. They told KCUR's Steve Kraske why this could have an impact on housing debates across Johnson County. So there's a lot of tension in Prairie Village right now over zoning and this interest in adding more affordable housing stock to the community. Those who are opposing this move, what exactly are they upset about? 
Yeah, well, it's, I mean, some of them are just angry and nervous because their neighborhood's changing without them really feeling like they can do anything about it. Um, but some of the other ones are, are really concerned that their property values may go down um, with the introduction of, you know, rental housing right next door. Right. Um, which, to be clear, was, you know, apartments were never proposed next door to, to single family homes. But they're still concerned that, you know. That could happen maybe at some point. Right, right. Mm-hmm. The increase in density would make it less exclusive and therefore would make their houses a little bit less pricey. Yeah. When did all this controversy begin? It started with um, uh, Village Vision is the Prairie Village you know, planning document. It started a few years ago. Um, they created a, an ad hoc housing committee to explore ways to add density to Prairie Village, ways to you know, keep homes affordable for seniors and, and things like that. Among the recommendations was um, to introduce, uh, they're called accessory dwelling units, into um, R1 zoning. And so that would mean smaller houses that seniors could downsize into. Um, and then shortly afterwards, uh, PV United distributed a set of flyers to folks around uh, Village Fest saying that they were potentially introducing um, rental housing into their single family neighborhoods. Josh, what did the council ask its staff to do when it comes to looking at different types of housing? What was the request? Right. So they have never actually approved right. the changes to zoning. So all that they did is they approved the set of recommendations from the housing uh, the housing committee. And that means that they would instruct their staff to explore those issues and how they would be implemented in the future. But if any changes were to come to zoning in Prairie Village, it would have to be approved with an ordinance through city council, which has not happened yet. I was going to say, to be super clear, that has not happened, as, as, you're, as you're pointing out here. Correct. What are the demographics of residents living in Prairie Village these days? So it's it's predominantly white. Um, it's about 92% white, I think the number is. Um, that dates back to the creation of the suburb um, with the you know, exclusionary uh, zoning and racist housing covenants of J.C. Nichols back in, um, you know, when the, when the Prairie Village was formed. Um, nowadays, it also looks a lot wealthier just because the single family houses are being torn down and replaced with, with larger luxury homes. And so home values are, are significantly higher than they have been before. Um, so overwhelmingly white and, and tends to be upper middle class. And what is PV United? What are they asking for here? What are they, they, because the request now goes beyond concerns about zoning. They want to see a whole new city government structure, right? Right. So so they have a set of three petitions that they've submitted. Um, the first one is about it's the rezoning petition is what the city calls it. And that one makes it so that uh, the city council cannot change zoning restrictions for an entire group of zoning. They can only evaluate zone, zoning on a like, you know, per parcel basis. So if one homeowner wants to, you know, upzone their specific parcel, it has to go through the process, but it can't happen to a set of lots. Um, the other two petitions are to abolish the um, current strong mayor form of government in Prairie Village. Um, and so a lot of their frustration is directed towards um, Mayor Eric Michelson. Um, and so they are frustrated with him and want to make sure that he has less power in Prairie Village. Third petition is to reinstate a new city uh, city council mayor, a city manager form of government. Wow. Do you think uh, that whatever gets decided here that other cities in Johnson County might follow suit because your story points out that other cities are paying close attention here? Yeah, yeah. It's unusual. And, and I don't know the details specifically about it, but I hear that Prairie Village is, is the city that a lot of neighborhoods, uh, Overland Park, Lenexa, you know, Mission, they all turn to, to Prairie Village to see what they do. You know, for example, when Prairie Village created a non-discrimination ordinance, and they were the first, uh, I believe, the first suburb in Johnson County to do something like that. And a few of the other sub- uh, suburbs around them followed shortly afterwards. So they do set a lead. You know, the city, before all this, went through this planning process and took another look at where it wants to be a couple decades down the road. The plan is known as as Village Vision. What emerged from that? 
Yeah, so they they have a set of five you know central ideas that they focus on. I can't recall all five of them off the top of my head, but among them were strong neighborhoods. So folks wanted to keep their neighborhood character intact, and so that informed the way that they were doing zoning. They didn't want to just throw in an apartment building. They wanted to make sure that it still looked the way that it did before, and that people it still felt like the neighborhood they lived in before. There's sustainability, um, so improving green spaces and, and walkability. Um, you know, sustainable development. So they want to make sure that they're very strategic about where they're bringing in commercial and where they're bringing in kind of mixed-use apartment complexes. They want it to be in very specific areas strategically picked out. You know, is there an elephant in the room here, Josh? I mean, you can't help but wonder how much that race might be playing into all this and fear that this largely white community, maybe it'll become more diverse as a result of these changes, if in fact they would go through someday. What do you make of that? What, what did you find out from talking to residents? Yeah, well, I mean, I know at least talking to um, Jacob Wagner, who's a professor at uh, UMKC of Urban right. Planning, said that one of the biggest ways, one of the best ways to improve diversity in suburbs, the federal HUD wants to diversify suburbs as a way to get you know resources that were previously not available to certain groups of people, sort of diversified and expanded. Right, and that requires a diversity of housing options. You know, bringing in apartments and you know townhouses and things like that for people of a variety of different lifestyles, races, income levels. PV United is a little bit touchy about that. I was going to say that we've had representatives from that group on this show any number of months ago, and they insist that this that race is not the central issue here, to be right. fair to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, but um, anytime that there's, there's one gentleman who goes up at city council and gives his comments during public comment, and he says, you know, this is ugly. It's you know he says that it's racism and it's bigotry, and then the crowd around him you know boos and laughs, and and they're you know not particularly happy about you know having those words used to refer, to refer about them, but they um, they they get a little defensive about it. I'm just wondering when decisions are going to wind up uh, being made about all this. The petitions as of now have been there's a legal challenge to them. The problem, for one thing, with two of the petitions, the um, abandon city council or abandon the strong mayor and the um, implement the city manager from government, they're two separate ballot questions. And so there's a possibility that you could vote for one but not the other. And so and that could be problematic, right? Right, right. And so um, you could, you know, abandon this, the strong mayor from government without creating a new one to replace it, which. You know, there's not really a clear legal answer as to what would happen in that circumstance. I think the city attorney, David Waters, is raising some concerns about that, right? Right, right. And so they are not being put on the ballot yet. And um, basically, is all that to say it's not being placed on the ballot yet because there's a dangerous possibility that it could, you know, jam up payroll, for example. Can you pay the city employees or can you approve construction permits? What happens with those? And so it's being evaluated by they, they asked a Kansas judge for his opinion on, on whether or not they're legally sound before they want to put them on the ballot. Is there any sense of of when uh, leaders from uh, PV United hope to have this on the ballot? They want to have it on the ballot in November. November. Um, but they would have to act fairly. You'd have to get a judge's ruling pretty soon here right. in order for that to happen, right? Yeah, it'd have to happen within the next 10, 10 days or so. I think September 1st is the deadline to get it on the ballot. Okay. We've talked a little bit about PV United. That's the group that's opposing any zoning changes. There's an opposing group of residents that call themselves Prairie Village for All, Josh. What are you hearing from them? Yeah, well, I I hear that they're a little frustrated uh, just because you know, um, as is the case with a lot of these sort of issues, the people who can show up in city council tend to be, you know, the wealthiest. They're the people with you know free time and are available in the evenings. Versus renters might be you know um, 
they could be people who work in evening shift at a right. coffee shop or a grocery store. Sure. They could have small children. They could have bedtime right around the, the time of the city council meeting. They could have soccer practice, a variety of different things. Right. And so, you know, they get a little frustrated that they can send emails to city council that they support the zoning changes, but they can't show up every single meeting like the folks from PVE United can. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that sense, they, they feel a little bit outgunned by them. Their argument sort of centers on this idea that there's a need for more affordable housing because even folks like teachers and city workers right now, they argue, can't really afford to live in Prairie Village because prices are so high. They certainly can't afford to buy a house. Right, right. I mean, it's you know, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars is the median uh, home price, but a lot of times it's you know, half a million or more. Um, and so, if you're you know, a teacher who is you know, fifty thousand dollars a year or something like that, you can't afford a four hundred thousand dollar house. Are you yeah. kidding? Yeah. Um, and so, it, it, that's one of the things that comes up a lot in these housing conversations is, you know, do we have a place for our teachers to live? For they say police officers, you know, firefighters, nurses, can they afford to live in the city? And how are we supposed to support the city if they can't actually live here? So this is really, at the end of the day, a kind of a different version of the argument going on in Kansas City, Missouri, over affordable housing. This is the argument uh, in suburban America that's sort of playing out in front of us. Right. It's definitely odd to, to hear the different conversations happening in Kansas City, Missouri, where yeah. there's, you know, is there there's an affordable housing set aside for one thing? Is it meeting the set aside? But also, you know, is the set aside even affordable in the first place? Is it affordable enough? Versus, you know, in, in Prairie Village, there are folks who say that we don't want affordable housing in our city. And um, we don't think that the kind of people who live in affordable houses make our neighborhood a better place. Those are mm -hmm. kinds of the arguments that are being made by some of these folks during city council conversations. That was Kansas City Beacon reporter Josh Merchant and KCUR's Steve Kraske. You can read Josh's story at kcur.org or at kcbeacon.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news, visit kcur.org, where you can hear a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.